Welcome to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Our mission is to bring you discussions on a wide array of topics in the coaching world to grow players on and off the court. You can connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, and also reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Now, here's your host, Coach Mike Hernandez. Hi again, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another Q&A episode. This has been long in the making. I have been asked about doing another one of these for a while and finally had some time open up in our schedule and finally able to do it. So thank you for one, sending in the questions that you did. And two, thank you for being patient with me as uh, we found some time to finally uh, get these questions in. And luckily these questions, they're evergreen. So um, even though it took a few months, they're still relevant, even though we're getting to them now. Um, so we're going to take some questions, give our insight and give our answers to those questions, just like we did for the first two episodes. If you didn't listen to those, go listen to those now. And I am very happy to be joined by the same guest who joined me for the first two episodes of these Q&As that we did. So once again, I am joined by the head girls basketball coach at New Albany High School, teacher and alumni of Maryville University. Coach Shelby Gleeby is back with me. Thank you, coach, for joining us again. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Absolutely. Love taking questions. And I'm actually going to surprise you, coach, with a question that you weren't prepared for, but I don't <laughs> know the answer for it. And I don't know if I ever asked you it specifically. Uh, your number, number 13, when yeah. you played. Uh, what's the story behind that number? It was actually, so my high school number was 31, um, pretty much just because that was the only number available as a freshman. So 31, I go on my visit to Maryville and the coach, you know, told me um, the person that previously wore the number 31, she had actually passed away in a car accident. Um, so they retired her number. So then the only number available was 13, which, you know, was fine because it was, you know, rever 31 reverse. But now, like, 13 is my all-time favorite number. I'm obsessed with it. So. Yes. So how does that obsession, what, what does that look like? Do you see the number 13 everywhere? Do you always pick 13 on something? Hit the roulette yeah. table and bet on 13? What, what? Absolutely. Yes. I mean, if anybody asks for a number, it's 13 always. So. For some people, it's unlucky. For me, it's, you know, it's my favorite number. So <laughs> cool. All right. Yeah. That's the number. See, that, that, it's always interesting with like the jersey thing, because here, like in my school, it's like jersey numbers, they're, they're, they go by like size. So it's like single digits are like the smallest one. And then like the larges are like the bigger numbers. So even if like a girl who's like five foot, it's like, oh, I really want like number like 20 something. It's like, mm, no, you don't. You don't want that. Right. <laughs> That's like a large jersey. It'll be like a dress on you. So right. I'm going to shut this door really quick. Cool. All right. So questions. Here we go. Uh, six questions in total that were sent in. Again, these are just our answers. Obviously, they're the right answers. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> there are thoughts and insights, but I'd obviously love to hear your guys's who listened, uh, your comments and your thoughts on these questions. So please feel free to share them with us. All right, we're going to go ahead and get started here with this first question and pull this one up here. All righty. So this question was sent in uh, by a really good friend of mine, uh, Tim Miller. He and a couple of his friends have a podcast. It's called the Team Bear Sports Podcast. It's on Spotify. 
they're all Chicago kids. So if you are into Chicago sports specifically, you'll really like it. But they, they get into a bunch of other stuff as well. Um, and he said in this question uh, with a couple parts to it. First part, how do you get over mental fatigue of yourself and players? And what things do you try to implement with your players to get them in the right mindset after a long stretch of games, losses, etc.? So getting over that mental fatigue or getting your players in the right mindset after maybe they've been going through a rough stretch. Uh, Coach, I'm going to defer to you and I'll have you go ahead and get started with that first one. All right. Uh, so probably the first thing that, you know, as a high school coach, you have to remember that these are kids. Um, mm -hmm. For me, what I've noticed is like nothing excites them more than telling them that practice is canceled or like we're going to take a day off or maybe instead of having practice, we, you know, watch a movie or go get some ice cream or something. Um, so really, you know, and especially with me, like I've learned, you know, ap over these years of coaching that for me, like sometimes I also just need to like take a step back and just decompress. Like I just need a little bit of time. So um, really probably the biggest thing is just giving them a day off or, you know, doing something fun and just really keeping in mind that they are kids, um, you know, especially depending on where you're coaching at, like our home lives are not the greatest. So, you know, first and foremost, they are kids. Um, you know, as a coach, you should know your team. You should know, you know, what's going to get them back on track, what's going to excite them, kind of get them out of their mental funk. So um, I like to just do something, maybe get them donuts and we'll just eat breakfast together. You know, just something random and not so much basketball. Like literally the first three words I had written down as my response to this was take a break. Yes. Like, whoa, yeah. just, just, just relax. Yes. <laughs> as you mentioned, like they're, they're kids. And yeah. one of the things I remember vividly a couple of years ago, uh, and this is when I was coaching freshmen, but I was talking to one of the senior players and, and we had a, you know, an, an important game and that's all relative, but an important game coming up and, you know, it mattered a lot to, to our coaching staff and everything, but the girl was like, coach, like, I have an AP test coming up this week, like basketball, whatever, like, you know, like, if, you know, there's other things going on here, you know, because they're kids, yeah. right? They got other stuff that they're doing. Um, and so like, take a break. And like you said, like, bring in donuts, go, go watch a movie, go, go do something. And I, yeah. and I think that it helps your players remember that you look at them as like people, and they're not right. just like yeah. basketball players like hey like I actually enjoy being around you as a person and like let's get together and like just go do something yeah um a couple other things I, I thought of is especially if like I feel like when when there's mental fatigue especially for like a long part of the season there's probably also like physical fatigue as well um I know in my school, like our athletic trainer is like really big on like, hey, like I'll come in anytime you want. If you want to just go over like do like yoga stuff or like stretching or just like just mindfulness stuff, you know, like stuff like that, that I think might might be super helpful um, to kind of help them refocus. Um, and, and I know you've had experience with this uh, just from previous conversations we've had. And, and I have, too, is like if your team's like going through a stretch of like losses I feel like try to focus on, you know, where you can get victories, almost like redefine like what a victory is. 
Yeah. Um, I know that your players will probably like kind of pick up on what you're doing, but <laughs> to me, it's like, okay, so in this game, you know, we're not going to maybe necessarily focus on the scoreboard. I won't tell them that, but I won't be focusing on it, but maybe I'll just focus on, okay, did we get better shot selection or did we have better ball movement than we did before? And then I think like really overemphasize those things as a coach, like, hey, look at all these things that we did well. Like, I consider this to be a victory. Again, you yeah. kind of have to sell it to them, but right. I think that that's something that 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 could work. And I, I've been coached, I've coached teams that have been like that where I've had to kind of redefine victories. I, I know you had a rough season uh, a while back, and I don't know if you kind of did something similar to that or not. Yeah, yeah, you definitely, like, I mean, you just have to. Um, you know, and you can compare, like, last game we had, five offensive rebounds, but this game we had 12, you know, just kind of pick and choose the positives that, you know, that maybe then next game they'll focus on that and maybe not so much the scoreboard, like you said. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And the other, the other thing that I, I thought that was kind of helpful is I, I feel like if you're struggling, like, let's just say you're going for like this long stretch of whether it's like losses or just like hit kind of that skid, I like to evaluate like where our practices are at and maybe like focus more on like competition and like practice and maybe they need to like compete more in practice and like maybe they'll see like victories that way where like they can yeah. compete against each other and then like you'll have like somebody who like wins in practice. I don't know if that makes sense at all, but yeah. there, there's ways to win, I guess, even if you're not winning yeah. the actual game, which no coach wants to hear, but you kind of yeah. have to do that if that's kind of yeah. the situation you're in, right? Definitely. Mm -hmm. So the other part to that was like mental fatigue of yourself. And I, I think that I think my answer is kind of the same. Uh, I don't know if yours will be too, but it's kind of like just just take a break. I don't know. Go, yeah. go do something else. Go. I don't know. Do whatever it is you do. Watch Netflix, read a book, do, do something. But um, it's real. I think it's really easy to kind of spiral out of control as a coach mentally, because mm -hmm. I feel like if you're struggling, your tendency is to just like work harder, work harder and try to like beat the door down until like you get yep. what you want. But I think that has the opposite effect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and as a teacher and a coach, you know, I think teachers are kind of just fatigued right now. Um, and then you, you know, you add coaching on top of it too. So no, not only are you worried about your kids in your classroom, but then, you know, also your kids on your team. So it's a lot, but I definitely say just, take a break, take a walk, you know, get out of, you know, your little town, maybe go out into the woods or something where you're kind of disconnected and, you know, <laughs> just like, breathe a little bit. <laughs> I like that. Go literally get away, go out to the woods, go, go out somewhere. Yeah. Like, yeah. Even like a day trip, like super helpful, yeah. like go somewhere if you can and just reset. You realize, yeah. I, I, I think what you said though, it's a good point is like, when you get to like coaching and you're, you're in your school and you're in your district, you get into like your little bubble it's like go and like go out to a day trip a couple hours away and realize oh yeah the world's like a lot bigger of a place like yeah <laughs> this yeah. is reframe things a little bit right yeah, yeah absolutely cool so uh what do we have for question two? Oh, okay cool perfect this goes right with mental stuff all righty so uh this question what ways do you keep yourself mentally composed during a game? So that was a perfect segue back into mental health. So during a game itself, coach, what do you do to kind of keep yourself mentally focused and locked in? Probably the biggest thing I, I don't like 
outwardly like talk to myself but like I always have like a dialogue going on so like if it's a tight game or something I'm telling myself like okay you need to calm like you need to stay calm because if your players see you flustered then they're going to get flustered and then this is just going to spiral out of control um but I was you know just from playing I think too like if you played you know in high school call it whatever level you played at I think there comes like that type of mental I guess toughness where uh, you're able to kind of keep yourself composed if you were that kind of player. Um, and I was, um, but then also just, you know, telling my, you know, taking deep breaths, counting to three or five or whatever the time allows me to do. Um, and then also, I think it's really important to have, uh, a coaching staff or, you know, one or two people on your staff that can kind of rein you in a little bit, um, like my sister's on my staff and obviously knows me better than anybody on my staff, but you know, it's, we have an understanding, you know, if she sees me kind of getting a little flustered or whatever, she's like, okay, you need to chill out for two seconds and then, you know, get back into it. So I think it's important to have, you know, that kind of support on your staff, but then also, you know, have your own self-awareness of what is going to keep you kind of focused in the game and not get, you know, too tired or you know whatever the case may be so. well that takes like a lot of um like preparation in the sense of like so you had to have like kind of talked to your staff and like built that rapport and built that trust where they feel comfortable enough like even being able to tell you that like hey yeah. like, you gotta like chill out like yeah. was that was that like an easy easy process was that was that was that easy for them to sort of like feel like comfortable being able to do that to you probably not at the beginning but I think you know at the more I tell them like hey even if I just you know even if I give you a look or something like it's really not me being mad like I need somebody to be able to be like okay take a breather or something um so yeah, I mean, obviously building relationships, building that rapport takes a little bit of time, but um, just having those conversations and opening up with your staff, you know, even outside of basketball, I think kind of lends its hand to that type of rapport. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, no, no, I, no that, that's great. And, and I think that it also empowers your, your staff to feel like they have some ownership of like what's going on and what's happening too. I yeah. think it's really easy, like in a game for like your assistants or whatever to like, not check out, but like know that like, okay, at the end of the day, I, I'm not going to really be doing that much here. Yeah. But to like know that like, okay, I know that like my head coach like needs me if like this situation like happens or if they're doing this, like, okay, I got to like step in and fill this, fill yeah. this role or kind of, you know, get them right on track sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I had that too. Like, talk to your assistants or like ask them or like like you just talked about like build that situation in which they can tell you who like hey you gotta like relax or like chill out or or whatever the case may be um the other thing I, I think comes with experience is really at, at a certain point with coaching and I, I'm not there yet and and I don't know when I'll feel like I'm there yet but at a certain point you're almost going to get to the point where there's nothing you really haven't seen. Yeah. Like there's nothing at, at a certain point where you're going to be like completely thrown off by what somebody does, especially if you like scouted them or like know who's on that team. So yeah. I guess you have to think of like, what is throwing me off? If it's like, okay, well, 
they're they're pressing us really well and and you know like ah, i'm getting all like flustered about that it's like okay well like what do you have to do to break a press you know you have to just sort yeah. of like break it down into like that sort of thing like what are they doing what do i need to do um but i do think a lot of that comes from experience uh yeah. the other thing i thought of was i think one of the easiest ways to kind of get yourself back on track is to try and like take control of like what's happening in the game. Like I, I think that when I used to get like really overwhelmed, it was because other teams or other coaches were like doing stuff to me. And I was always just like reacting to it yeah. versus yeah. like, okay, well, if they're doing this to me, what can I like do like on the offensive? Maybe I need to like do more pressing maybe i need to run this different set you know you kind of have to take ownership where you're not just like reacting to whatever it is they do and trying to survive but like trying to impose something on them yeah. i feel like kind of helps you almost like regain one of that power i guess i don't know if that makes yeah. any sense at all but that's how i thought of it yeah and i think you know just from like what you're saying and even what i said the biggest thing to, you know, kind of stay composed, I feel like just a simple, I mean, not simple, but a way to nip it in the bud is just being prepared. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously you can't prepare for everything that's going to happen, but, you know, by scouting and by learning other things on your own, how other coaches handle different situations, um, you know, preparation, I think helps. I know that's what calms me is just being prepared and organized and such. So, um, so yeah, preparing for, you know, the best that you can. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think if you prepare for, let's just say, and you know, like 80% of what the other team's going to do, I feel like that other 20% that gets thrown at you is a lot more manageable because yeah. there's a lot less that you're like surprised by versus like, oh, all of this is due to me. Well, all right, yeah. good luck. <laughs> Have right. fun yeah. with that, you know, sort of thing. Sure. Um, I feel like it would be really fun, Coach, to see on the sidelines if you're talking to yourself. I'm gonna like curious, like all the, what are all the thoughts? What are all the things that are like yeah. going on? Is your bench like wondering, like, what is Coach saying? What is Coach doing? What is she Probably. talking about? Probably, which obviously made it easier with the mask because nobody could read my lips. So <laughs> that <laughs> was funny. one good thing about a mask. <laughs> That's funny. You know, I, I was thinking about that. This this kind of just popped in my head based on like what your answer was. I, I think it's also important that like you really kind of keep yourself as best you can at least have like that sort of face of calmness on because I think mm -hmm. your bench needs to know that you feel like calm as well yeah like if you're like look like you're like really flustered and you look like you're like really like annoyed or whatever the case may be and then you like tell like a sub to go in like uh if I was on the bench I'd be like uh-oh yeah I'm a little exactly. nervous now right <laughs> definitely yeah yeah so <laughs> it, it just helps it just helps everybody that last thing you want is like your, your coach all like upset and mad and then it's like all right now it's your turn to go in hopefully yeah. you don't make me mad exactly <laughs> yeah that's funny okay cool so yeah a lot of a lot of good mental health stuff okay fun uh third one basketball stuff real basketball related um what is a hard skill for players to learn that most people wouldn't expect to be difficult all right i got two and first one, I don't know if this is girls basketball specific, but I, I'm just going to say I'm always going to test your weekend because I, I just don't see as much as I would hope of girls in particular who can go on their weekend. Um, it, it, I don't know if that is a skill as much, but I think it is like being able to like 
finish with your other hand, even dribble or control the ball with your other hand. Yeah. Um, it, it takes a lot of time, but I don't think it's as difficult as sometimes players make it. I think there's a mental block. And I also think for a lot of coaches, I think it's not something they like to spend time on yeah. because they feel that that time could be better spent on like other things. But I, I think that it has to be done and, and the players have to commit to working on their offhand or uh, coaches maybe have to spend a little bit more time on it, even though I know I really wouldn't want to, but yeah. I know as a coach, that's going to be the first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to say, all right, um, I'm just going to test your offhand and I'm going to find out really quickly if you can dribble with it. So that was my first one. Um, and again, maybe it's just a mental block where, where players are just like, can't get over that. Like, oh, I'm not as good with this hand, so I don't want to practice it sort of thing. Uh, the other one, I've, I've seen I've seen it done really well, and I've also seen it done really poorly, is uh, players, like, just using, like, a jump stop really well and, like, being able to gather themselves in, like, whether it's, like, a dribble drive situation or just attacking the basket, being able to land on two feet, whether it's, you know, hitting a floater, whether it's, you know, just being a good pivot and passing out. I've seen a lot of interesting jump stops, jump skids, or players not really, like, landing under control or um land going off like one foot and I, I don't know it's something as simple as like a good solid just like jump stop and then being under control and making your move from there I, I don't know maybe it's just in my area but I feel like it's kind of hit or miss so those are the two that jumped out to me right away yeah I like those um and kind of with the left hand thing I always which I think it's something if you have camps and stuff that in with your youth programs that you you know talk to your coaches about and be like this we need to implement that we can big time. But one thing that I did when I was growing up to get better with my left hand was like for like a week straight, I would do, I wouldn't write with my left hand cause that would be bad, but like I would eat with my left hand or, you know, if you go to pick up a cup, you know, you typically do it with your, whatever hand you're strongest with. So I would mm -hmm. always do it with my left. So for like a week or two straight, I would do everything aside from writing with my left hand, just to get comfortable with my left hand and then you know obviously practicing basketball too but so yeah that's what I always tell my girls like if you're not comfortable with it do things with your left hand that you typically wouldn't do and just get comfortable with it being of use so yeah I like that yeah um but probably the biggest skill um and again I don't know if it's a skill or not would be talking um oh, during yeah. basketball that's a yeah, because, you know, I tell my players all the time, like, if you can't talk or if you're not going to talk on the floor, you're not going to play um, because then you become a liability on the defensive end. Um, you know, as far as being a help side and letting your teammates know, you know, that you're there for their help if they get beat or calling out a screen and not letting your guard get her neck broke because she was blindsided. Um, so, yeah, talking is probably – the biggest one, and it's super hard, um, you know, I always ask the girls, like, I'm sure you guys get in trouble at school for talking during class, right? And they're like, yeah, like, okay, so then what's the issue? Uh, so a lot of times it's just, they don't know what to say or, you yeah. know, what to be saying in situations. But so that's, you know, something we started at the beginning of summer that, you know, these, this is what you should be saying or say something, just something so that people can hear your voice. So yeah, communication. Oh, oh boy. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. It was actually funny yesterday. 
Because I still play, I still play pickup basketball, and I got blindsided yesterday by a screen, and I can still feel it right here. And it was not yeah. called out, and I was was not happy. I, I was that. <laughs> oh that that hit me, and and I'm not the biggest person in the world. And it was somebody. It was, it was like six four, like two twenty, yeah. just oof. And I was like, well. Yeah. Really appreciate if you communicated that next time, but it's just, yeah. So yes, communication, but what you said, I think is absolutely true. Like, I feel like a lot of players don't know what they're communicating. I I think one of the things to think about at at the high school level is think about as your players are coming into your program, like what level of basketball were they playing at middle school and like what was expected of them like what's expected at their youth program I know that some coaches do a fantastic job and and really teach and talk a lot about communication and their players are really good at it I also know some coaches who they'll have their players do man and there's no like communication that even takes place then because I just have your person and they don't think they have to communicate it was never taught to them how to um and and maybe some of the coaches at younger levels maybe they need to be like taught like hey this is what I need you to teach your players about communication maybe just some basic things that they can come into uh our program like already knowing so I I think it would just be really interesting to like wonder or or just like think about what do my players like already know about communication before they come in because sometimes I feel like as coaches, we have so much knowledge about the game and we know what it's supposed to look like as a finished product that maybe sometimes we forget what it's like for them to come in and we have to like break it down. Like you said about, here's what I need you to say. And this is when I need you to say it. And just like you would practice anything else, you almost have to dedicate time specifically just to practice communication. Yeah, absolutely. We had, um, a middle school open gym last week. So fifth through eighth graders could come, um, We had about 25 kids there, which was huge. So that was good. Um, And we were doing, you know, four on four closeout or four on four shell. And it was silent. I mean, silent. So I had to stop it. And we went over talking for like 20 minutes because I was like this almost it almost makes me feel uncomfortable to be like in a silent gym. It was the weirdest thing. But then, you know, we talked about it um, and the middle school coaches were there as well. So they could see as well, like how important it is to talk and I just think a gym sounds better when there's communication. So, um, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I always have said to my girls that a quiet gym is a losing gym. And I've said that, I say that all the time yeah. and it is yep. uncomfortable. It is really like, is. what is this? Like, what are we, <laughs> what, are, what are we in church right now? I've, I joke with that. My girls like, this isn't church. Like, can we talk a little here? <laughs> That's funny. But yeah. Uh, yeah. You have to talk about communication so yeah I guess that would make sense that you would have to but I would be very uncomfortable I'm picturing that drill and just picturing how silent it is and like it's like an awkward silence (laughs) like I had no I didn't really know what to do it was weird so I had to stop it (laughs) because I'm I'm too uncomfortable right now we (laughs) can't go on (laughs) well I mean and and not only that but it's like the drill isn't being done right like you can exactly do it all correctly, but yes. like if you're not communicating, like we're not, you're not doing this right. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, yeah. yeah. All right. That's like with Halloween approaching here. That's like worst nightmare here. Yes. Worse than any horror movie. <laughs> yes. 
All righty, that's funny. Okay, so uh, question four. Unfortunately, this does come up sometimes. Uh, what do you tell a player who is going into their senior year, but they haven't improved that much their first four years? Maybe, uh, maybe they just they hit the wall or maybe they didn't put enough time in. I don't know what the situation is, so we can take this question a few different ways. All righty, coach, you ever had to have those conversations? What would you tell a player who's, who's in that sort of boat? So I think where you kind of have to start with the situation is figuring out or having a conversation with that kid and like asking, you know, what are their expectations for the season? Um, you know, and if they come out and say, you know, I'm just, you know, I just want to be a part of the team. It's my senior year. I'm just playing because of blah, blah, blah. Then I think you can have that on this conversation. Be like, yeah, that's great. Like, here's your role. Um, this is what it's going to be. Um, obviously, if you have a, a senior that comes in and is like, well, I'm a senior, so I should be starting and blah, blah, blah. Then I think you have, I mean, you just have to be honest with them and just say, okay, well, you know, and I might have to have a conversation like that this season. I don't know. Uh, our tryouts start the 18th. So it, depending on who comes out, you know, I might be having this conversation, but just kind of making them, I guess, uh, I mean, not me like blunt, blatantly telling them, but them kind of sitting back too and being like, okay, what was my role last year? What did I contribute? What did I do in the off season to get better? Um, and I think they'll kind of figure it out on their own without you having to be the bad guy. Um, but I, the biggest thing is just having the conversation, figuring out their expectations, and then kind of navigating that conversation from there. Because I think depending on what they say, you know, will kind of determine what you can let them know, I guess. Yeah, I, I think as a, I, I agree 100%. I think as a coach, first off, you, you better know going in to that senior year, you better identify it like, Mm -hmm. You better have had those conversations with those players that are like junior year. Because yeah. I feel like if they're at that junior year and they're they're kind of plateauing already, chances are, not, not everyone, but chances are a lot of them aren't going to make a huge leap their senior year unless they're yeah. like super invested, in which case then that's different. But like you kind of should already know by junior year and let them know at the end of the season. I know a lot of coaches do meetings with their players at the end of the yeah. year. And if I have a junior who's in that boat, you know, I'm going to sit down with her and be like, look, like, unless this happens, I'm just letting you know, like, this is probably what next year will be. It could change, but I'm just letting you know now. Yeah. I don't want there to be any surprises. And they shouldn't be surprised by it either, honestly. They should right. kind of know where it is that they're at. Um, I, and I like what you, like you mentioned about, like, their roles. Like, how do you see yourself, right? Like, what do you see for yourself this year? And I, one of the things that I know we've done with our seniors in particular, the ones who maybe won't start or, or won't get a lot of playing time is flat out ask them at the end of tryouts, like, hey, like, what are you going to do if you don't end up playing that much this year? Mm -hmm. Is that going to be something that you're going to be upset about and you're going to complain to everybody about? Or are you going to have a really good attitude, work and be a leader and be a senior and, you know, do all those other things? Like, just flat out ask them. Yeah. They are going to kind of give you some wishy-washy answer. Like, look, like if you're not on board, like that, I won't take it personally, but like, yeah. I can't have you at the end of the game complaining and being upset or, you know, doing all these other things to kind of muck everything up, especially 
if you know you're a senior and I'm starting a sophomore that sophomore will probably get really uncomfortable knowing that there's yeah. a senior girl who's like really upset at you even if they're not directly at you like mm -hmm. you'll feel that they're upset at you you know yeah so the other thing is to me is hopefully your seniors if they've been in your program for four years I'd hope that they have like leadership qualities and other intangibles that you're going to emphasize and be like you might not play a lot but you know how to lead in all these other capacities and all these other ways, you know, what's expected by being in this program. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's invaluable. I, I would hate to lose a girl their senior year after they've put in all this time in the program, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the other way I word it um, is I try to tell those players like, look, like I'm not punishing you. I'm just rewarding others who are at this, at, you know, the level that they're at. Mm -hmm. sort of thing try to frame it positively I don't know if it works but I, I don't know if they think it's a bunch of bs I have no idea but at least that's what I try to word it that way yeah I had um a junior last year that every once she would get in games but there were a couple games where she wouldn't get in she's probably like a five eight five nine um mm -hmm. you know post player I guess um she wasn't very strong with the ball or anything but you know our end of the season banquet she got the mental attitude award because you know she came in every single day worked her butt off um was the first one cheering for her teammates in a game even if she didn't get in um just always positive no matter if she thought she should have been in a game or not um and, you know, we made it clear with her, like, look, we appreciate you. We appreciate what you're doing, you know, and we would, um, you know, celebrate her at practices and stuff too. Like Joy didn't get in the game last night and she might've thought she should have, but her role on the bench, like helped our team. Um, mm -hmm. So just that kind of stuff. And, you know, in the spring, summer, even into the preseason stuff, she hasn't missed a workout or a shootout or anything. And she's not a thousand times better, but like she will contribute this year because, and she won't score a lot of points, but she'll be able to catch the ball inside, let people collapse and then kick to our shooters. So like her role, you know, from, from last year and just kind of seeing her morph into this person yeah. that is actually going to, you know, contribute. It may, it may not be a lot. She'll grab a rebound here and there, but just to be able to have that inside out game now, you know, cause we mm -hmm. didn't previously, um, that's huge. So I think that's awesome. cel celebrating those roles and those, uh, people I think is kind of like, Oh, okay. They do see me, you know, they see yeah. me working. So that's really cool. No, that's yeah. awesome to hear. And, yeah. and you bring up something that I, I think is, is important to mention, uh, and, and for coaches to keep in mind is if you have a player like that, who's going to, like you said, like all like the workouts and like, you know, shootouts, all these other things, and they go to all of them yeah. and they're still like plateaued. Like as a coach, you kind of have to think like, why is this, why is this happening? Like to me, like I have to think like, okay, why is this player at everything, but like still like here, yeah, like not, not doing this. Like, again, it, it may be something completely on her end, but I can only control what I can control. And I have to think like, in my mind, if a player comes to all of these things, I feel like either there has to be a role for them somewhere in the court, or I'm doing something wrong that yeah. a player could go to all of these workouts and yet like still not be able to contribute on my team. 
Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm really, that's really cool that, 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 that particular player, like they showed up to everything and it's a really, I'm sure it's going to be a really good example for your program too. Like, Hey, look at what this player did and committed to. And now look at like what they're going to get yeah. this coming year yeah. uh, because of that sort of thing. Like it's a great example to have. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Alrighty. A couple more questions here. So let's see what we got for this next one. Uh-oh. This is the one that gets you probably talking under your mask. This is the one that's getting you, getting you cursing. Uh, not that we ever do that, of course, as coaches, but uh, how do you coach? How do you keep your team from making bad fouls? Uh, I feel like if we had the answer to this, this would be like, best insight ever so <laughs> but how, what do you do to try and help keep your team from from making cheap or bad fouls uh probably the biggest thing I mean one or two a game might be inevitable one a game is in, inevitable um do they think it's a bad foul absolutely not um but you know I always try to make an example of it in practice um my girls we have a really our transition defense is not great. So we've really been in the preseason and stuff. We've really been working on our transition defense and our girls have a really bad habit of trying to go for the block um, or, you know, trying to time it. So then they kind of body up with the person as they're going up for a layup. And I just think those are bad fouls, like get in position, take a charge or, you know, something. Um, so I always just try to, nip it in the bud in practice and make an example of, okay, you just committed that foul. And I just kind of tried to paint the picture of what that is then going to happen in the game. Or, you know, you create that bad foul there at the end of the game, we might be down or something and you, we need a, we need you to foul and we need you on the court and you, you, mm -hmm committed that stupid foul at the beginning of the game. So now, you know, you have to foul at the end of the game and that now you're out of the game because you fouled out. So just trying to paint like a bigger picture for them instead of being like right in that moment. Yeah. And just, you know, they're kind of starting to see like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Um, but really just talking about it in practice, if they do it in practice, correcting that behavior immediately and don't let it kind of spiral from there. So. Yeah, you, you really do have to, again, it goes back to like teaching them. And I think yeah. the blocking thing is like super important because that that will drive me crazy. And the I way I the way I've always thought about, it, especially on transition, is like if your player's trying to like go and like block the ball, the amount of timing that requires. Yeah. And the fact that as an offensive player, right, like you have all of your momentum, plus you have all of these variety of ways that you're going to try to score all these different ways that you can try and get around that to either one, try to score or two, create contact. Yeah. And for that defensive player, they have to just be perfect. And yeah. uh, as you probably uh, will attest to, that does not happen very often yeah. <laughs> where they are perfect with their timing on a block. Uh, yeah, no, that, that, that's one that, that exactly. Like you mentioned though, is you have to like, break that down into like situational stuff about why that's a bad foul uh, for sure. And, and to me, that that's the other thing is like, they might not know what a bad foul is, 
yep. teach them what that is when it's, you know, all the way on the other end of the basket and they're frustrated because they missed a layup. And so they just foul somebody on yes. <laughs> when oh, the other yes. team gets a defensive rebound. And yep. I think what you mentioned is a really, really good point is, and I know I've had conversations with players about this, where they pick up that second foul. Now they're sitting next to me. And then you like literally have to tell them like, is this, is this good? Is this, is this what you wanted to be? Yes. Is, is this yeah. helpful that you're here right next to me? Cause I'd rather have you out there sort of thing. Uh, so absolutely. And I think that if a player makes that like silly foul or whatever, don't be afraid to just pull them. Be like, look, yeah. like, even if it's your first foul and it's 40 seconds in the game, like, no, we're, we're not doing this. Like yes. <laughs> we yeah. talked about this and you might be my best player, but this, this isn't helping anyone. And if, you know, if that's important to you as a coach, those fouls, not doing them, that's a real nice way to make a statement about it. Absolutely. And then the other thing for me, I'll let you speak if this is something that, that you notice is I feel like at least on on-ball defense, I do not have players and I've rarely ever had players who are like great at like stealing the ball. And I feel like anytime we try to like steal the ball or try to reach with your hands, one, you, somebody's going to blow by you or two, you're just going to reach in and you're going to foul somebody. So I'm almost of the mind of just like, please don't ever really try to steal the ball on one-on-one yep. -on -one because the success rate on that is so low that usually we just create problems for ourselves. I don't know if that's an issue on, on where you're at, but yeah. here it's yeah. not pretty. <laughs> it definitely is. Um, and I kind of am at the belief now where I tell my girls, like, if you are not 110% going to get the ball and shoot a wide open layup, do not go for the ball. Um, I mean, you know, a deflection is big, you know, it messes up their offense a little bit. So I don't mind like, you know, if you get a hand on the pass or whatever, but if you're going for a steal and you're not, you're, you know, you, you have a 50, 50 chance. The only reason you should be going after a ball is if you're going to go shoot a layup. Um, and I still have some girls that will still go for it every once in a while, but they've pretty much gotten into a better habit of, okay, let me just disrupt their offense by getting a hand in the passing lane, not so mm -hmm. much putting my entire defense out of position because I was going to go for a pass or go for a steal, or I just went with the wrong hand and bodied them. And now, you know, now I have a stupid foul. So yeah. So yeah. <laughs> and, and, and when you're first teaching it, uh, even like trapping, I feel like players, if they don't, if they're not used to it or they haven't really done a lot of it, especially like on a press players will think that like on a trap, like it's their job to also like steal the ball as well. Yes. And then they'll like reach in, like you did yeah. a perfect trap and then you just reached in and, and then you fouled them. Like, yeah. uh, what, what was that for? And I think a lot of players don't really realize that. And as coaches, we have to like teach like, okay, we're trying to get deflections here. We're trying to get like a bad, you know, rainbow pass that gets thrown. And that's where our turnover comes from. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of misconceptions that, that definitely come into play, but yeah, like you said, um, you have to explain it to them, like why it's a bad foul. And, and I think when you're doing your other drills or your other things in practice, if you see something that you know would have been a foul and puts your defense at a disadvantage, you can just stop it and tell them like, yeah, that is a foul. Yeah. What you just did. And yeah, I was definitely. like, no, I was no, no, no. I don't care what you said. No, I'm telling you, right. Like yes. that's going to be a foul. Yes. I, I just know that it will be. So yeah. Um, yeah, definitely explain it to your players. And even, you know, in film, if you feel like you need to and be like, 
do you understand like why this was called a foul? Do you understand what you did here in that situation? So the more you teach them, I think, and the more you stop to explain it to them, the more it helps. But then I also think, and, and you just kind of mentioned it too, like you almost have to have like these non-negotiables of like, look, if you do this, like you better be, you know, like said, getting a layup yeah. here or you're just going to sit next to me sort of thing. And yeah. We're going to have a fun conversation about it again. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because <laughs> nothing uh, makes a coach happier than having to explain things over and over again, right? <laughs> oh, gosh. <Pet> <laughs> All righty. Cool. So one last one here. This is more very big picture question. So thinking back now versus where you were when you started, coach, what do you know about coaching now that you wish you had known when you first started? Um, I guess I don't really know if it's something that I wish I knew. Um, obviously like I, the, the biggest thing is probably like, you always have to be, I guess, learning and you just kind of have to keep an open mind to the ever changing, you know, rules and the style of play, um, and the types of kids you're going to get, um, and not be so, you know, I've always, people will say like, do you have your offense and, you know, you, your kids fit that, or do you fit your offense to your players? And it, I guess that's more for like college because you can recruit the types of players you have come in, but um, that's just something that I think you have to be adaptable and you always have to be learning. So, you know, I knew you would have to be open-minded and, you know, constantly, reading and looking things up and learning and getting nuggets from this and that, but it's a lot, you know, and there's so much out there. So, you know, sometimes it's hard to kind of figure out, okay, mm -hmm. is this of value to me and my program um, versus am I just kind of creating busy work for myself or something like that? So, so yeah. I, the, one of the res responses I had to this question was the amount of like overload of information that yeah. existed about coaching. Yes. Just how much stuff is out there and how yes. much of it you don't need to implement or some of it you don't even need to know, mm -hmm. but there's just going to be a lot thrown at you. And I think it's really easy to feel like you're inadequate as a coach because like there's all this stuff and some of it might be new to you. You might like not really know a lot about it. And so I wish I had known like, look, you're going to get all of this information. You're going to like go to these clinics. You're going to like hear all this stuff and it's okay to like maybe use like 10% of it or like just use like a small bit of it and just focus on what works for like you and your players mm -hmm. and, and worry about the rest later versus like, oh, there's all these new concepts and all these new things. I got to implement all of this. Like, yeah. You know? Like let me do a thousand drills that I just learned and practice it. You know, like yeah. when I do this next. Yeah. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, the other, the other thing, and this goes with being a teacher as well, is like, you can't assume anything. And I wish somebody had told me that, you know, cause I started coaching middle school first that like, all right, like Mike, your, your level of understanding of basketball, if you can't explain it effectively to like a 12 year old, then you don't know it then you yeah. don't know it well enough. Yep. And so I think I wish I had known that like you, uh, how important it is to know something at the level that your players can understand it. Mm -hmm. And if you've, if you played at a really high level and you have all of this like basketball IQ and you have all of this knowledge, that's wonderful. That's great. 
But if you can't explain it to that person on your team, then you don't know it well enough. Yeah. And so work on it's as much of, you know, knowing basketball it is, is knowing how to tell your players what they need to know. And I think that that's like a really big distinction. I think it's really easy to get like frustrated sometimes because of how much you know and how much you think is like natural, but you forget that like, no, you had to be taught that or somebody had to like teach that, you know, to you along the way, or you had to learn it along the way. You didn't just have this knowledge. Um, is something to keep in mind. And, and, and I mean, you can speak to this as, you know, you played in college and yeah. was, was that something you had to sort of like think about or adjust to the fact that like you had all this knowledge and you had all of this experience, but now you had to sort of kind of take that and like reword it or explain it in a way that was like easy for your, like your players to understand? Yeah, uh, when I worked at the Larry Hughes Basketball Academy in St. Louis, uh, the head of school development, Jason Wells, um, awesome guy. Um, and he's a big purpose guy. Like everybody has a purpose, uh, mm. phenomenal person. Um, but anyways, he always talked about when we were, you know, putting in a new drill or talking to the kids about doing this or that, like you always have to be able to explain the why behind it, because like kids are always going to be like, why, like, why do I need to know that? Why do I need to do this instead of that? And, you know, even being able to explain that to your, uh, coaching staff too. So that's probably the biggest thing of, you know, when you put in a new drill or you want to do something different on offense, like being able to explain the why behind it, um, mm -hmm. you know, and I'll stop a practice if we're doing something and, you know, something happens and I'll be like, why did that happen? Um, or why, why are we doing this instead of that? So I think being able to ask that question, but then also explain it, I think it helps them, the kids understand like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like, Okay, she can explain why, or, you know, that's why that happened. So I, I don't know, kids, they always just want to know why, like, you know, even in the classroom, like, why are we doing this? You know, yeah. <laughs> why do I have to do this? So being able to answer why, I think, has really helped me take what I know and learn and get it down to the level of where they can understand and comprehend what's going on. Yeah, and, and with that, and I'm really glad you mentioned that, uh, the why if your players understand the why about something, uh, whether it's uh, a drill or even if it's like something that you're implementing on offense or defense, if they understand the why behind it, it's a lot easier for them to make adjustments in a game or see something yeah. and be able to react to it. Mm -hmm. I found that one, I've had situations with teams where players knew how to run like a system really well or knew how to run like a set really well, but they had no ability to deviate from that if something different happened because they yep. didn't understand the why. They knew what they were supposed to do like in terms of the movement or in terms of like an action, but there was no ability for them to like be creative at all because they didn't yep. understand the why of what we were trying to do. And if they understand the why, then it's a lot easier for them to be like, oh, because, you know, this is happening on the court. I know in the end, this is why I'm doing this. So maybe I got to like move over here. Maybe I got to like make this cut or do this particular motion because they understand like the end process of what they're trying to do. Yeah, um, thousand percent. And that takes, yeah. and that takes time and uh, yeah, communicate and explain the why. Uh, yes. And that'll be good. And I've had that really awkward moment where, I've, I've stopped my girls before and I've asked like, do you understand why we're doing this? And they just stare at me I'm like, oh, yeah. well, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 
I guess, yeah. <laughs> I guess right. that's good. Yeah. And I but, think that, you yeah. know, I think that once you're able to do that or one, I think that kind of builds a relationship of like, okay, she's going to ask me why. And I can say, I have no idea what she's talking about. And we were like, we're going to learn from it. Like, she's not just going to jump down my throat because I don't know this. So I think that opens up a line of communication that maybe you didn't have. Uh, but then also just basketball wise, like, I think it opens up a whole other level of understanding in basketball when they're yeah. able to, like you said, not be robots and deviate because they understand, you know, what they need to do if something happens. So I think that kind of opens up a whole other arsenal of things that you're able to implement once you kind yeah. of get up to them. So. And as a coach, you have to be like, okay, well, this was on me. Yeah. I, I didn't explain this well. Like there's mm -hmm. two ways that can go, right? You can either get really frustrated at them because they didn't listen, or you can just think like, okay, well, maybe I didn't explain that great. Yeah. I didn't explain this well. And if you, if you know your players and you have a really good relationship with your players and you know that they do listen to you, you kind of have to then think, well, if I know they listen to me and I know they trust me and they don't get why we're doing this, it's kind of has to be on me at that point. Yeah. Not like they're not focused or anything. It's just that I didn't explain this really well. And, and I've yeah. had that in the classroom and I taught something and thought they knew it. And then I get their results back and I'm like, well, nobody yeah. really understood that at all. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I can only control me. Right. So if they didn't get it, I can control the way I present information it's a lot harder for me to try and change the way that they learn something. I can yeah. just change the way I communicate. So yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Cool. Well, thank you all for sending those questions in. Keep them coming and keep harassing me. And if you do so, I will make sure that we do another one of these down, down the line. Uh, but no, these are really good questions. Really fun talking uh, basketball, talking mental stuff. And um, hopefully some of this uh, will help you guys out in, in the season. If it does, uh, please make sure to let me know. Uh, and if you have any of your own answers to these questions, uh, leave them in the comment section or tweet at us or Instagram us or whatever the right verb choice is. Uh, and just let us know what your insights are too. Uh, Coach Glevy, thank you for joining us. I know your season starts really soon. So uh, yeah. best of luck with tryouts and everything. Hopefully it's all safe and uh, we'll be in touch down the road and do another one of these. Yeah, thank you so much. All righty, guys. Thank you guys so much for listening. This was uh, Q&A number three of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. We will see you guys next time. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Make sure to connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, or reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Take care, be safe, and we'll see you next time.